Today our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 1, and we're beginning at Luke chapter 1 verse 5, and you will find it in page 1587, 1587 of the Pew Bible. It's a fairly lengthy reading, so please be patient with me. And it is the story of Zechariah when the angel Gabriel appears to him and tells him that his wife Elizabeth will be with a child. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. With only one more week left to Christmas, all the excitement and anticipation is ramping up, and it is an exciting time. When I bump into children at the academy, and we had an outstanding Christmas academy program last Friday, the children can hardly contain themselves. They're like a dog with two tails. They are so excited. And of course, when it comes to Christmas, one of the great things we enjoy is the unexpected, that little surprise we hadn't anticipated. And yesterday, someone sent me the following email. Now, you'll need to listen carefully, so here it comes. Do you ever wake up, kiss the person sleeping beside you, and feel you are glad to be alive? I just did. 
and I won't be allowed to use this airline again. (laughs) The end, of course, changes how you interpret the first part of that. And I couldn't see the end coming when I first read it. I thought, where are we going with this? How will it end? And as we come to Zechariah this morning in Luke chapter 1, I suspect Zechariah woke up that morning and he had no earthly idea of what was coming. God was at work and Zechariah could not anticipate what was about to happen. He was about to get the surprise of a lifetime. So let me ask you, as we did over the last two Sundays, to journey back with me, please, to the first century and explore together this incredible passage in Luke's Gospel. Whenever you come to read a Bible book, it's always helpful to start at the beginning of the book. That's where I want to begin this morning. We jumped in the middle of the chapter, verse 5, but Luke writes for us a prologue. And Luke's prologue, the first four verses, are a single sentence. And if you read it in the original language, you find this. That Luke chapter 1, those first four verses, contain some of the most carefully constructed, the most polished language of anything in the New Testament. And whenever you read them, what you discover is this. That Luke has a style that is elegant, a literary style that immediately captures your imagination. He's a flair for, of course, vocabulary. But what Luke is more eager for you to do is this that in reading his gospel, it is designed and crafted and cultivated in order that you will say yes. I look, I see the truth of what you're reading. Luke wants you to know from the very beginning that what he's saying is trustworthy. So quickly look with me, please, at those opening words. And he writes, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to you by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So what Luke is telling us is this, the people I have interviewed, those I have sat down with, the people who met Christ, I have asked them, now tell me a little about Christ. Are all these miracles true? Is this what actually happened? And Luke is saying, I have interviewed those who were eyewitnesses. And then he goes on, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke is writing to Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And that's how Luke begins his gospel. He wants you to understand and grasp not only the significance and the wonder and the majesty of all that he's about to say, but he also says this happened to real people in real places at a real time. Hold that thought for a second before we go any further because that's how he begins verse 5. He writes, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, Luke is the historian of the New Testament. You'll see it again if you quickly flip to chapter 2. How does he begin chapter 2? 
begins chapter 2 with these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the whole Roman world. And then chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetriarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetriarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. Now, why does Luke do that? Why does he mention Herod? Why does he mention the governor of Judea? Why does he mention all the other rulers and the high priests and the chief priests? Why does he do that? Because what he's desperate to do is this. Luke is saying to you, let me give you the political, the historical, the social backdrop to what's about to be enacted. Remember his thesis took place in the lives of real people at real times and it really happened. That's what Luke is eager to get over to us. And so with all of that, by way of introduction... Let's begin chapter, chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. What Zechariah is about to discover is this. There are 1,800 priests on duty. And each day, their names will be put into a large container. and Two names will be drawn out by lot. And much to Zechariah's surprise, his name came out and he was chosen to go into the Holy of Holies, that area in the temple in Jerusalem that no one else could go to. It was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And Zechariah, thrilled and delighted, steps in behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies where the tabernacle is kept, and he offers prayers for the consolation of the people of Israel and asking God to intervene in their world. Remember, a once-in-a-lifetime privilege. When you've had that opportunity, it never comes your way again. And can you imagine what was going through Zechariah's mind that morning as he had this incredible privilege? When he goes in, he prays. Then an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And here is the question. Which prayer? Is it beyond our imagination to put ourselves in Zechariah's sandals that morning? That once in a lifetime privilege, as you know, to pray for the nation? Absolutely, he would do that. But I wonder if in the back of his mind, Elizabeth and Zechariah, having tried for years to have children and were quite simply unsuccessful, And I wonder, just of a fraction of a second, just in that brief moment, I wonder if Zechariah's mind had moved quietly in the unspoken prayer of his heart, Father, we would love to have children. 
And now God was going to answer his prayer. Was it the prayer of the moment? Possibly. Was it the prayer of years gone by? Absolutely. And God was about to answer in a spectacular fashion. Not just the prayer of the moment, but the prayer of years gone by and for the consolation of the people of Israel and for the salvation of the world. The Messiah himself was about to be born. And so Luke, recognizing all of this, wraps up his infancy narrative in history and in the wonder and majesty of God. And God responds to Zechariah's prayer. And notice what he says to him in response. He says to him, let's have a look, verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not, well, verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Those words, do not be afraid, are the most repeated words in all of Scripture. Isn't that strange? Of all the things we would think that would be repeated, it's those words, do not be afraid. Four simple words. Because what was taking place? God was at work in the life of Zechariah. Now folks, please understand what's happening here. Zechariah, all of his life, had been preparing for the priesthood. Now he'd been active as a priest in the temple for a long time. And God reaches out that morning, touches the life of Zechariah in a manner that he could not imagine. He tells him his prayers have been heard, and I imagine that would be a little unsettling and unnerving for Zechariah. I don't suppose many of us have ever found ourselves face to face with an angel, but it's going to be quite an experience. And he says to him, Zechariah, do not be afraid. God was at work. Now what else is happening here? Angel Gabriel begins to explain what happens. And what does Zechariah say? Jumping down the passage to verse 18, he says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. He says, Gabriel, this is impossible. We are too old to have children. Please hold that thought for a second and understand the gravitas and significance of what is taking place. God from all eternity past, has planned and purposed right up to this very moment. The Messiah was coming into the world. John the Baptist would be his forerunner. And when God was about to initiate the birth of the Messiah, Zechariah says, no, I don't think that's going to happen. How can this possibly happen? you understand what's taking place here? If Zechariah would go out to the waiting crowd and pronounce, as the priest did every late afternoon, early evening, the blessings of God and the people of Israel, it would have been nothing other than the emptiest of formalities. That's all it was. Empty formality. 
because Zechariah was not surrendering and submitting his life to the purposes and plans of God. Zechariah was caught up with the ritual and the formality, not the immediate and the intimate. He was caught up with all the things going on in the temple, the candles and the offerings and the incense, not about a heart relationship with the living God. He was caught up in the peripheral, the formal, and not the supernatural. And now at last God was at work for Zechariah. And allow me to break in for a minute. Zechariah was very comfortable with God at work a long time ago in a country far, far away. Very comfortable with God in the Old Testament. There had been 400 years since the last book of Malachi and now the gospel opens. For 400 years, nothing had happened. And Zechariah was very comfortable. As long as it was some silent night, in the deep midwinter, as long as Zechariah could control and domesticate God and hold him at arm's length, that was just fine. But God was at work. And He was at work in the life of Zechariah and in the people of Israel and across the entire known world. And Zechariah couldn't see it, couldn't believe it, and refused to believe it. And so Gabriel speaks to him and says, Zechariah, because you have refused to believe, you will be unable to speak until the day that this comes to pass. And so for nine months, Zechariah was unable to say a word. Now hold that thought, and we're going to come back to it in a minute. And let me take Zechariah's hesitancy, his resistance, and try and bring it right up to date. Now I wonder if you're here this morning and you're saying, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I've been following the study so far. I get all that you've mentioned. But quite honestly, really, are you asking me as an adult to believe that God came into the world as a little baby? Really? Richard, quite honestly, if you had to put me in a corner and pressurize me, I would say, oh, I probably believed in God when I was a child. And I also believed in Santa and the Tooth Fairy, but not really today. Come on. Is that what you're really asking me to believe? Now it may be in your mind that you have reduced God to the level of Santa and the Tooth Fairy. But if you have, allow me please to push back a little. If you think that belief in God is some kind of immature, childish thing that is fine when you're 15 and under, but as adults, really, come on. We know so much better these days. Well, let me suggest this. Come with me in your imagination. Let's go to Furman. Let's go to the university library and come to the philosophy section. 
and the religious section. And you will find again and again and again and again and again and again dozens, if not hundreds, of well-written, well-reasoned, rational explanations for the existence of God, both for and against. But if you go to the Christmas section, you're not going to find too many books on Santa. You're not going to find too many books on the tooth fairy. At Christmas time, we cannot get away with dismissing God as if he's some kind of Santa figure or as if he's some kind of tooth fairy figure. And more than that, if I ask a congregation on any given Sunday, for those of you who have come to faith after 15 years old, put up your hand, probably about 50% of the congregation will do that. But if I ask that strange and odd and weird question, how many of you have come to believe in Santa and the Tooth Fairy after 15? Not so many. Not so many. The Christian's trust and belief in the wonder and love and grace of God is not committing intellectual suicide, but it's asking the real, the genuine, authentic question. And that's why Luke is writing. And Luke is asking again and again and again, is it true? That's what he's asking. And Zechariah refused to believe it was true that morning. And he was struck dumb for the next nine months. Now can you imagine what that was like for Zechariah? When he came outside, he could not pronounce the blessing. When he went home to Elizabeth, he could not explain what happened. And I think eventually he was able to communicate. And for nine months, he could say nothing. Can you imagine how that would feel? For nine months, he was stuck, unable to speak. And slowly but surely, it dawned on Zechariah that opportunity, that privilege that comes once in a lifetime. God was at work and I missed it. I dropped the ball. What on earth was I thinking? What was going on? As long as it was some silent night, as we said earlier, as long as he could domesticate, as long as he could control God, Zechariah was quite comfortable. But when God began to work in his life, and move him to the next level. And God began to shape and refine his life. Zechariah inevitably surrendered to God's rule and reign in his life and submitted his heart and mind and soul to all that God was doing. So here's my challenge this week. As we move towards Christmas Day, as we move towards the wonders and the celebration of God coming into the world, please remember three things. Number one, Zechariah was surrounded with the things of God every day and he was in danger of missing it. In danger of missing it. Spiritual discernment. Father, allow me please to see you at work in my life and in the lives of my children and my grandchildren. Father, let me see you at work so I can recognize and surrender my life to your reign in that life. Number one. 
Number two, submit heart and mind and soul. Father, give me a fresh understanding of you this Christmas season. Let me see you at work in all of your love and grace. Let me enjoy this Christmas season. One, spiritual discernment. Let me see you at work. Two, allow me to come to a fresh and new appreciation of what you're doing this Christmas season. And then, number three, Father, take me away from the formal and the ritual and engage my heart and soul that I might worship you afresh and gasp at your beauty and your wonder. It's not that Luke simply wraps the Christmas story in history. It's not that he simply wraps it in prophecy. But he also wraps it in majesty. And our heart response is to surrender our lives to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable story in Luke chapter 1. Please forgive us for the days when we take for granted all that you are doing in our midst and enable us, enable us please, to engage with you, the living God, at that intimate level and give us a fresh and new and deep appreciation of you in the midst of this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.